0: The incomparable t-shirts are back on sale, but only until June 29th. Go to the incomparable.com slash shirt for details. On this run, we're selling you the incomparable robot and the full incomparable logo. Check it out, theincomparable.com slash shirt.
1: The incomparable. Number four hundred and eleven. June twenty eighteen.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we're following up a two-part episode from last year in which we drafted albums of all kinds from all eras. Uh, We're going to be back to talk about music a little bit, our favorites, Uh, but this time I am imposing a constraint. What? They must be musical albums from the decade of the 1980s. Only, Only albums from the 1980s will be accepted in this 80s album draft. Joining me to draft... 80s albums in the order in which they will pick, as chosen by Random.org, are the following. Hey. Drafting first will be Monty Ashley. Hello.
2: Hi, Jason. Random.org liked you. Thanks, Random.org. Wink.
0: Drafting second and liked slightly less by Random.org,
3: James Thompson. Oh, I've been looking forward to this, as it has been scientifically proven that the '80s were the best decade in all of music. Mm. <laughs> Interesting, I agree with you. Drafting third will be Anthony Johnston. Hello, hello, and just recall the old saying: if you can remember the
4: 1980s, you just weren't there. No way,
0: be <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Uh, Kelly Gamont will be drafting fourth. Hello, hey. Steve Lutz will be drafting fifth by process of elimination. Steve, random.org hates you. <laughs> Up yours random.org after all you've done for them. Also, beep boop, beep, beep, boop. It's the 80s mm-hmm. Indeed it is. And I will draft last because I am a gracious host. So with that said, I will give you I will give you one other uh rule. Uh-oh. Which is that this is, in addition to these needing to be musical albums um, and not photo albums or comedy albums, uh, I will also say that albums already already picked last time in our album draft are off the board because they were already picked in a previous draft. And this also means, yes, in the 90s album draft that will surely follow someday, uh, albums from that we picked this time will not be eligible doubly because of course they aren't from the right decade anyway um monty you are first with the first pick in the 80s music draft uh what do you have
2: I'm going to start things off on a super musical note with an album by the band Negative Land. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure the word band is the right word. They're actually more kind of an audio collage performance art experiment in annoying the audience. <laughs> but I did see them in concert once, which is something you say about bands. So I think it's close enough. Uh, they had two 80s. Albums that I listen to an awful lot: "Escape from Noise" and "A Big Ten Eight Place." Uh, they also had a single where they sampled U2 and Casey Kasem, and they got sued into oblivion. Yep. But I'm going <laughs> to stick with the albums, and I'm going to go with "Escape from Noise," which is slightly more normal. It's got several tracks and some of them are sort of musical. Unlike a big ten-eight place, half of which is mostly a description of driving from San Francisco to Contra Costa County while bleeps and bloops happen. <laughs> it's it's great, though. I, I love that album, too. Um, the big single from Escape from Noise is a song called Christianity is Stupid, which is mostly rearranged samples from a really weird movie called If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? And That movie is Christian propaganda and it's kind of Rearranged into something that they call Christianity is stupid. The loudspeaker spoke up and said, Christianity is stupid.
4: Christianity is stupid. Christianity is stupid. Christianity is stupid. stupid."
2: And there's a sort of a song called, well, it's about how many time zones they have in the Soviet Union. Uh, The answer is 11. The song is very clear about that. It says it a million times. (laughs) Uh, Escape from Noise was made by cutting and splicing physical tape, and it must have taken them forever to make, and I love it. Escape from Noise, 1987, Negative Land.
0: I only know Negative Land from the U2
2: incident. Oh, you should listen to a big 10-8 place, because you're going to recognize the landmarks as they drive over the bridge. Oh, sure.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. Good choice, Monty. Thank I
5: have you. fond memories of Negative Land from back in the day, so that's a good one.
0: That is. You did, you're right. They did get sued. I don't know if they got sued into oblivion for the U2 thing, but they did definitely. Their
2: label sold them out and the band owed hundreds of thousands of dollars, which it turns out being a performance art audio collage band doesn't make you hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Interesting. They put out some stuff after that, but they were not really able to continue in the same vein.
0: Well, that's what you get when you mess with Casey Kasem. I think that's the lesson yep. we learned or they learned the hard <laughs> way, the hard way. Now back to the countdown, James Thompson, what's your <laughs> choice?
3: <laughs> well, I, I think we're going to have a continuing theme here of cutting and splicing physical tapes. Um, a lot of my picks are albums that I've listened to and they completely rewired my teenage brain in some way. And I think when I first heard this album, I vaguely knew who David Byrne was from Talking Heads, but I had no idea who Brian Eno was. So oh. I'm going to go with My Life in the Bush of Ghosts by mm. the two of them. Um, I was eight, I think, when it came out. In 1981 and i don't think i actually listened to it until about five or six years later uh when i was in At a point where I was getting out random LPs from my local library and I just encountered it by serendipity. It's an experimental and mostly instrumental album with lots of samples of uh, voices and drum loops and things. It's really one of the sort of early pioneers of sampling, but I believe, again, with the sampling done in analog fashion with lots of little tape loops. Kind of an early predecessor to somebody like DJ Shadow or something like that. And I've always enjoyed music with sort of random... Voice samples in it ever since. Uh, standout tracks are The Jezebel Spirit, featuring an exorcism in the background, uh, <laughs> and uh, America is Waiting, uh, always true. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Eno was like a master of the tape loops by this point. So it was was all manual, as you say.
3: Yeah. And there was one track, uh, Quran, that was removed in later reissues and isn't on Apple Music as it was deemed uh, a touch offensive to use uh, readings from the Quran. as the background of music um my vinyl copy that has this track on it is sadly long gone in an incident a few years ago which involved my father accidentally selling my entire teenage LP collection to a record dealer accidentally Uh, that's an accident accident. he was selling his own and hadn't considered the fact that mine was tucked in along with it back at their house um oh. so I lost the entire thing. I recently found a photo of what was missing. But it this as you can understand was a very traumatic experience. But that's where my copy went. Um yes. So that that's my pick uh some an album that I really like and I still listen to to this day. See, I was
4: gonna, I would have picked an Eno album if this was a seventies draft, but not, not the eighties. <laughs>
3: um, I'm
0: way not. I'm just not cool enough to be in this draft. I don't even know what's happening now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not have tape loops? I don't have any tape loops. I think, um, Anthony, it's your turn. I'm sure. See, I thought we would come to you and you would pick something totally off the wall, but I should have known Monty got to pick first.
4: <laughs> Go for it. Well, prepare yourself for irony uh first of all i would just like to because i completely misunderstood the restrictions so i haven't chosen any artists that i chose in the last in the original album draft. i don't think that's an invalid approach anyway one of the what it did was help me really narrow down my list uh, because you know otherwise we'd be here for months exactly <laughs> probably probably will anyway
0: um, 12 part episode great
4: so, yeah, like in that draft, I've restricted myself. I, I there's no metal because you, you, know, you either love it or you don't. Um, and none of the artists that were in the album draft. Also, I've decided not to pick any REM because I already did a whole unjustly maligned episode about them with Merlin. I, I've also restricted myself only to albums that I actually listened to in the eighties ah, rather than things yeah, from the eighties that same. I discovered I in retrospect. Same. Yeah. Just to sort of be true to the spirit. So all of that said. My first choice is Kate Bush's 1989 mm. album, The Sensual World. Oh, that's such it's a excellent. good record. Which- you know it doesn't get much more mainstream jason yeah you're right i'm disappointed really i
6: thought it was going to fall to me to pick an album somebody had heard
0: yeah i would i would i i would be cool but i decided to limit it to albums that people know
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think kate bush is cool i mean
4: i don't know how big kate bush is in the u.s but over here she's she's a national institution she's willowy i think on either side of the atlantic Okay, good, good. Cause I've been a fan since I was a kid. I mean, literally since the seventies. Um, and she released quite a few albums in the eighties. But in my opinion, this is her career pinnacle absolutely at the height of her creative powers she Mm -hmm. matured in her outlook she was buoyed by the success of a previous album hounds of love and could basically do anything she wanted and as a result in my opinion every track on this album is a classic they're all different massive variety of instrumentation every track has its own atmosphere and energy uh and Despite that, I mean, this album was a huge commercial success, but she, there is still plenty of experimental stuff on here. She's, you know, still unafraid to try new and different things, like a song about Hitler or uh, this wailing a cappella choral line uh, on the track Rocket's Tale that's just in there's a flute and cello on the fog and it's all sort of just slightly left of field which you expect from Kate Bush but the songs are so rock solid and her voice is so amazing that it all works and it just makes an almost perfect album in my opinion the closing track to this day this woman's work is still one of the few songs that can just reduce me to tears I absolutely love it I've still got my vinyl copy of this album Bought it on the day it was released, and it's still in my collection at the bottom of my bookshelf. The grooves are probably worn down to nothing by now because I just love it so much.
3: I was going to say, is it my vinyl copy that you bought from a record dealer?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Sold to me by this elderly Scottish gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, back on normal ground.
0: Yeah, yeah, look look at that.
4: Uh, Central Cape Bush, yeah, Cape
0: Bush is is definitely known. I, I bet she is much much bigger in the UK, but absolutely oh, not in the US.
2: Absolutely.
6: Well, this woman's work was in uh, at the end of. She's having a baby. The John Hughes movie mm. wasn't it? Well, there you go. Oh, was so, it? I believe The so. most ah, right.
2: famous movie there is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know. Well, I mean, I, mean <laughs> I don't know about
0: the UK, but out here, it's a John Hughes flick. It's yeah.
2: you know hardly a Werner Herzog fl- film.
0: Oh man, can you imagine those two collaborating? <laughs> Werner Herzog's Breakfast Club. <laughs>
2: I was just going to put Kate Bush over one of the last scenes in Grizzly Man.
0: Some people wonder what happens when high school students misbehave. (laughs) I find that we are all the jock, the maid, the beauty queen,
6: and perhaps they are
5: us. Signed, the, the club of the breakfast.
0: All right, Kelly. Please save, save us save us.
5: I can't. Um, <laughs> the the pick. My first pick. I'm gonna get with is um, listening to you guys talk about uh, tape loops and and sampling reminded me of an album that almost made my list, and so all I did was just promote it again, and that is um, pop will eat itself. This is the day. This is the hour. Mm, this is yes. this from 1989, and the reason for that is because how nerdy nerdy Kelly, who grew up in a Town is a really generous description in a wide spot in a road with no traffic lights and like eight stop signs within city limits and lived on a road that wasn't paved. How I ended up with this album, I still don't know. I don't remember where I got it. I don't remember how I ended up with this cassette, but I... Literally wore it out. I played it so much that there were parts of it that you just sort of couldn't hear anymore. They got quieter and quieter and sort of faded away. The three songs that stand out to me on this, two of them were were uh singles, which were DEF CON 1. No
1: time to fear. It's Defcon 1, no time to eat, so get me some big Mac to go. Give to go. Give me Big Mac, give me
5: fries to go. Can You Dig It? Uh, and lots of people know can, can You Dig It because it's basically culture sampling. I mean, there's a little bit of sampling on it, but uh, it's the one where it's just all the stuff that they like. And I sort of enjoyed this long list of stuff that uh, Clint Mitchell enjoyed. And um, I think it's a really great album. Uh, 16 Different Flavors of Hell is a song that I still enjoy. And this is actually a, a record that has made the rounds again in my personal playlists, um, out of no—I don't remember what made me do it—but about a year ago, I loaded it up on my phone, and it—it it sounds depressingly relevant now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, living under threat, and you know, yeah. Anyway, so there's a whole thing to probably be explored there, but um, this is a really great album, and for people who maybe aren't familiar with Pop Will Eat Itself. It's, uh, the, the guy that you know from Pop Will Eat Itself is Clint Mansell, who went on to, uh, film scores, who you might remember from. did
3: the Mass Effect scores, I think, as well. Yeah,
4: Mass Effect. Lots of Darren Aronofsky movies, yeah. yeah.
5: Yeah. So, you, you know that you have, you've probably, you've heard his stuff, even though you probably don't realize it, though. Um, and I really, like, this is just an album that I always enjoy, so, um. This was one that I, especially starting with the, uh, negative land and the, um, w- with the, the Brian negative Nino. land and talking about the tape loops and brand, you know, yeah, I figured I should, uh, put that on. So
4: there you go. The Clint Mansell thing is the strangest thing for me because the Poppies were a local <laughs> band. They were like, really? they were from, yeah, from Stourbridge, just like 20 miles away from Birmingham. Um, and it's only if you've ever been to Starbridge that you fully can understand why the Poppies existed. Uh, but, the, like, the Clint Poppy? Clint Poppy, a guy who used to go to the record store in my hometown occasionally, you'd see him, like, you know, buying his weekly stash, is now this highly regarded, successful Hollywood composer. It's the strangest thing. <laughs> I, I can imagine.
0: All right, let me pull you out of the 80s for a moment to tell you that this episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by Pingdom, the company that offers uptime monitoring and web performance management. You are probably more familiar with Pingdom than you might think, because it's keeping your favorite sites up. Evernote, BuzzFeed, Netflix. If you've used any of those sites, and who hasn't, and haven't run into trouble, guess what? Pingdom may be to thank for that. Websites are pretty sophisticated these days. There are so many different moving parts. Contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, login, search a whole lot more pingdom will let you check the availability of all of those functions it's not just is my homepage up you can burrow down into very specific oh the search engine isn't working right now and you can get that information immediately before anybody else complains to you that the site's not working all pingdom needs to get started is the url you want to monitor they will take care of everything else here's what you do go to pingdom.com/snell right now you'll get a 14 day free trial no credit card required and when you sign up Use the code Snell at checkout and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting The Incomparable. All right, Steve, it's your
6: turn. Wow. Well, I had this album queued up to go first because I figured, oh, there's a possibility that somebody else on the podcast will pick it and snipe it out from under me. I should have known better. (laughs) (laughs) I should have known better because I'm not going to be like all you other guys picking some weird, obscure album that nobody's ever heard. I'm going to be unique and pick an album that everybody heard. Thank God, thank God. (laughs) Uh, and namely that is uh Rio by Duran Duran. Nice mm. from nineteen eighty two. There we go. A
0: little little, art, was on my little list. art uh art house number there. Yeah. yeah. The band that Hair
6: Gel and Eyeliner built. <laughs> Actually, that's 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 entirely unfair. It's it's actually almost a shame.
5: It was spandex.
6: They were. I don't remember them wearing spandex.
5: Then you didn't pay as much attention to what Simon Laban was wearing as Kelly did in the eighties. Mm. Yeah, that's right.
6: probably yeah. true. It's actually almost a shame that the members of this band weren't ugly, because then people might take the music more seriously. <laughs> If you haven't ever heard this whole album, or if it's just been a while, go back and listen and just appreciate how well-constructed these songs are and how well-played the individual musical parts are, especially those tight bass lines from one of the indistinguishable Taylors. I I can't tell. John Taylor.
5: It was John Taylor on bass.
6: John Taylor. Good job, John Taylor. I figured Kelly probably knew. He
4: went to my high school. Is that right? (laughs) Yes.
6: Well, there you go. Small country, uh, England. Anyway, um, yeah, this album is peak '80s, starting with the absolutely perfect Patrick Nagel painting that graces the album sleeve, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's uh, you know, it's it's very much of its time, but at the same time, as I said, it's it's musically complex, and there's not a bum track on the album, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-mm. "Hungry Like the Wolf" is the acknowledged masterpiece.
1: I have my drumming on your skin. It's-
6: People like Rio a lot too. For some reason, that one's never really hit me exactly right, but it's still a great song. Um, but Save a Prayer, Hold Back the Rain, Lonely in Your Nightmare, New Religion, they're all just as good. I mean, the whole, the whole album is just strong from beginning to end. Um, the last track, The Chauffeur, is a particular standout for, I think, being the most obliquely erotic song of the entire 1980s. <laughs> I, I think it's about sex in a car or possibly sex with a car. It's difficult to tell, <laughs> but it is very
5: sexy. It's so sexy they couldn't show the video in the United States. Yeah, there were a, f- a
6: couple of Duran Duran videos that uh, that met that description. The Girls on Film one in particular. Sure, um, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, also, Simon LeBond may have nicknamed his penis Blue Silver, but I, I can't say
2: that for sure either (laughs) that's two (laughs) colors and neither of them seem really what you want to
5: (laughs) 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 really get that checked out you might need to get that checked.
6: Uh, a little mercury poisoning Um, yeah you can't mention this album without mentioning the videos although they technically aren't part of the album because they so beautifully positioned the band as some sort of like weird gang of uh, very well dressed and coiffed Indiana Joneses, <laughs> uh, you know, re- visiting exotic climes and picking up leopard women, and uh, you know, it's it their their looks and the atmosphere about them obviously were a big part of their success. But the music, I think, is is pretty fantastic too. Um, I do recommend the U.S. version uh, if you've never heard the U.S. version or you grew up with the U S version and you've picked up the CD and listened to it and gone, this does not sound like the album. I remember it's because they remixed the entire first side when they released uh, the U S album to great effect. It's, it's almost like a completely different album. It's, it's much, much richer. There's a lot more instrumentation piled up in it. Um, Some of the songs are longer hold back. The rain goes from a somewhat anemic tune to just this crazy, surging epic. Um, Or you can pick up the 2009 collector's edition, which has both sets of uh, the first side tracks on it, which is a good way to go. But anyway, Rio, everybody's already heard it. You love it or you don't. I think you should love it. It's a fantastic album and uh, one of the best of the 80s, in my opinion.
0: Oh, Steve, I'm so glad that you, I was looking at my list and I thought, wow, so many of the albums on my list are popular albums from popular bands and everybody's picking these really (laughs) super cool, obscure things with tape loops and all that. Nope. Solid. I took, I took the dork Thanks to you and, and Anthony Quite <laughs> frankly Because I think The Cape Kate Bush one Got, us, uh, got well, us But you know That's arty enough That it uh, <laughs> Yeah it's respectable But it's still I've possible. only picked
5: One record hey, Jason I'm still right. me <laughs> I, I just I, I, You know
0: I, I, when, when, In the first round You're like How's this gonna go Am I gonna be The only jerk Who's picking The famous albums That everybody knows Nope I, you're just Gonna be the second jerk Thank you
6: I promise
2: <laughs> I've got some Real garbage coming Okay up. great,
3: great garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, garbage
2: wasn't
0: even around
3: Until Monty's the 90s the Thompson
4: Twins Album. Oh, yeah boy. I've
3: definitely got a garbage list as well which we'll get to
0: <laughs> you know one of the one of the funny things about taking um, uh, a band looking back on a band or an album uh, many years later is that you get to sort of remove them a little bit from their cultural context like you mentioned the music videos and it's like as a high school student in the 80s uh, an elementary school and high school student the um the you know Duran Duran wasn't just the music; it was the videos, and it was the the people who liked Duran Duran, and the people who uh, had the Duran Duran T-shirt or the poster or whatever. The Durannies, yeah, Duranis, Yes, I was so, going to say. So what I what what I like about looking back is that. Uh, when you're an old person and you can look back at, at the music of your youth, some of the stuff that you really kind of rolled your eyes at as being just like super popular and un, and and uncool or didn't fit with how you viewed yourself, you look back and you're like, oh my God, that was just so well done. And Duran Duran yeah. is a good example of that. I feel like they had a, a kind of like 90s comeback a little bit where people are like, oh yeah, they're actually a pretty good band. And, um, if, and I'm not going to do this for every choice, but I will say here, um, there's a very successful band today, called The Killers, that just wants to be Duran Duran. I They <laughs> literally, <laughs> they just want to be Duran Duran. And I like The Killers because... Tarantula is not a bad thing to be. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I Dur- loved Rio at the time, but I always felt a little bit bad about it. <laughs> right,
6: right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't like this band as much as I do. Oh, but... I mean,
0: "Hunger Like the Wolf." I know that song by heart. I'm a oh, little so embarrassed good. that I do, but I absolutely do. No, no, it's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I'm going to go next. Well, what will I pick? I'm going to start. So uh, something Anthony said really resonated with me, which is this idea of: Do you pick something that you that was released in the '80s that you later came to embrace or or do you kind of go in and say I'm going to I'm going to talk about the things that that I loved in the 80s and so What I'm not going to do is pick an album from one of my very favorite bands of the 80s, which is Husker Du. I'm not going to pick Warehouse Songs and Stories, which I think is a great album. It's a double album. It's literally, as the band is breaking apart, two amazing solo albums, one from Bob Mould and one from Grant Hart um, on their way out the door. But uh, I didn't discover Husker Du until later. A friend of mine was into them, but I wasn't. But when I came back the summer uh, after my freshman year in college, that friend said, "Oh, Bob Mould has a solo album you should listen to. I think you'll like it." And that was 1989's Workbook, which is one of my favorite oh. albums to this day. It is the uh, the one of the two lead songwriters and singer of this fast playing literally just on speed play it as fast as you can band huscadero uh where the lyrics the vocals were really not important and could barely be heard amidst the noise mm. <laughs> it is an almost entirely acoustic album the uh the other prominent instrument on it is a uh is a cello <laughs> Uh, there's also uh, uh, you know it's a super acoustic album. Uh, it is completely unlike and yet also exactly like the pop songwriting that Bob Mold showed in Husker Du, but just in a completely different context. It made me love Bob Mold and his work, uh, which is a favorite to this day. It made me go back and discover all of that Husker Du music, which I initially was like, "Whoa, this sounds completely different," but the songwriting was the same. Um, I got to see they did a uh, he did a tour for the 25th anniversary of workbook and i got to see him perform the entire album live which was really awesome too and he had he had a uh, he had the cellist uh, or a cellist not the same one i think <laughs> um, and of course the album which begins so quietly it's it's got it's got nothing synthetic on it other than some synthesized wind chimes at the very end so it's also you you feel it's very organic it, it feels very natural it's super acoustic and then the last track he kind of blows the roof off the joint, which at the time I thought, oh well, here's the Husker Du guy, and I like that track less. And now, as an older older person who has listened to that entire catalog, I love that track too. That's the moment where he re- he kind of reemerges <laughs> re- as the loud screaming guitar guy after giving you this much more restrained kind of album. I think he recorded, he wrote it, and recorded a lot of it in like a barn in Minnesota somewhere. He was like on his own for a lot of it, and then did some stuff at Paisley Park at the end. Um, so. So it, it's a it's a remarkable album. It sounds unlike any other work that that Bob Mold has done in his career. Um, but it got me into his work, and I love it. So Workbook nineteen eighty nine gets picked.
5: It's a really good record. <laughs>
0: it's it's yeah. It's even if you don't like other stuff by Bob Mold or Who's Do, I think it, it's just such a unique little document. It's the it's his his career goes off in all sorts of directions before and after it. But then this there's this this acoustic album at the very center. It's great. Uh see a little light I think is the song that people probably know from that
2: Wait, Monty, we're back around to you. What do you have? And I'm going to go with an artist you have heard of. That'll be fun. Yay. <laughs> At the time, her name was Sinead O'Connor. Uh, now she mm. is Magda Davitt. Uh, she became super famous in 1990 with the album, I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got, which with her version of Prince's Nothing Compares to You. Mm-hmm. I really liked the album before that one, The Lion and the Cobra. Yes. I like that album yes. a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot heavier. Uh, the big single is Mandinka, which is full of these big, chunky power chords that let her scream a lot. Uh, that actually got a little bit of MTV play. Mm-hmm. On the album, that's the second track. And the one right before it is a song called Jackie, which is a very Irish song in that it's told from the viewpoint of a ghost who haunts the shores waiting for her lost love, which is mostly what Irish ghosts do, I believe.
6: And Irish people.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And that song has a bunch of electric guitar feedback that kind of fades into her voice. It's a very rock and roll album. It's also very Irish. It even has Enya show up to do a little Gaelic spoken word intro to one track, I know she's had a controversial life and she's had problems, but The Lion and the Cobra is an album I just love top to bottom, to the point where I was kind of annoyed when I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got came out. And I spent a lot of time grousing that, oh, you guys all like her now. What about Lion and the Cobra?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a woman who literally shaved off her long, naturally long, beautiful hair Pretty much the eve before uh, shooting the video for Mandinka because the record company had made it clear that they were going to sell the album on her looks. So, yeah. you know, who who could have guessed that she would have an interesting and troubled life? <laughs>
6: <laughs> That's badass, though, man.
4: That
2: is so Completely. badass. Completely.
4: And so shocking at the time as well. I remember It was a real, like, front page of the tabloid newspapers over here.
2: Luckily, she looks great with her head shaved, and she still
3: has it that way.
4: <laughs> yes. it's <laughs> a trademark now, isn't it? Yep. All right, Sinead
0: O'Connor, James, you're next.
3: So I went through a goth phase in my teens, uh, mostly, I think, in a failed attempt to impress the older girl next door. Um, I wore a lot of black, and I had a surly attitude. I was a a fake goth boy. Um, (laughs) She probably saw right through it. Yeah. Uh, One of the albums that stuck in my brain from back then that I listened to frequently today was this i'm gonna go with floodland by the sisters of mercy
4: oh yes see that's the album i would have picked if i'd allowed myself to pick a sisters
3: album Mm, yes mm -hmm. so i was gonna say i don't know how cool the sisters of mercy were considered by proper goths um at the (laughs) time. very very cool because (laughs) they they were frequently on my tv on top of the pops which is not a very goth thing to do uh, but i thought (laughs) they were the absolute height of cool when i was 14 um and this album it's a sort of goth rock mix of synths and guitars and extremely big vocals uh, and a drum machine called dr avalanche uh it was partially produced by jim steinman who's known for his extremely over-the-top collaborations with meatloaf uh standout track is this corrosion which was written by jim steinman which i think is 10 minutes long uh has the choir black backing vocals 46 backing singers that's um, how you know it was a jim steinman track yeah (laughs) (laughs) backing singers and it's very very long those are the two the video for this track was set in a sort of black leather post-apocalyptic wasteland with andrew eldridge looking like uh, a sex god in sunglasses and patricia morrison decidedly informing my early desires oh yeah (laughs) recently there's actually some question as to whether uh, she played bass on the album at all because it's mostly no, no, it's synthesized a, it's a bass yeah yeah, it's a synth bass on most of the stuff and she says she did play and then he overdubbed stuff and uh, he says she wasn't on it at all. And I think there was a court case for unpaid money, which led to her leaving the band. And he was quoted as saying, she never picked up a guitar until it was time to make a video, which is an extremely unkind thing. <laughs> Ouch! Ouch! And, uh, you know, I wasn't yet, I think, at the point of looking at people playing on top of the pops and noticing that their instruments were not plugged in or even bore no resemblance to the sounds that were actually in the, <laughs> the music. Um, but all that, finding all that out made me sad because she was awesome. And the album was awesome. And yeah, it's just the, the the height of that uh over-the-top uh goth rock. She still is awesome. She's married to
4: Dave vanian from The Damned. Yes, yes. And play plays with them
0: now. All right, Sisters of Mercy. Anthony couldn't pick it, so James did. But Anthony gets to pick something yeah. now.
4: I do, and it's it's another mainstream album. Uh and I am going to pick Peter Gabriel's album, So, from 1996. Ah, that was my next one. Oh, yes. Oh, I thought I could get oh, away I've with delaying that yes. one. <laughs> Damn it. Well, but you said you weren't going to pick any Gabriel albums because they were all too patchy. Yeah, it's I true. had
0: a I had a whole yeah. setup for that, but anyway, it's uh, I'll, I'll let right. you please enjoy. So, so with my compliments. <laughs> yeah. Oh darn! I get
6: to talk about my album and then save it for my my yeah. own
4: pick. Yeah, yeah. It's a I mean, tragedy. I've been a Gabriel fan since I was a kid because of my love of Genesis. Uh, and but you're right. Like his early self-titled albums, they're great, but they are really patchy. They've all got some great tracks, mm-hmm. but they've also all got some clunkers as well. Um, I almost actually picked peter gabriel plays live
0: damn it anthony that was my whole bit (laughs) (laughs) my whole bit was that i was going to talk about so and think yeah but it's a little shaky so i'm going to pick peter gabriel plays live
4: (laughs) (laughs) keep going continue plays live live is like a best of those first four albums basically but instead i'm going to go with so because like with sensual world and in fact kate bush guest vocals on this album at one point mm-hmm. so is in my opinion an almost perfect album it is just amazing from start to finish it's kind of for me it's like almost like the ultimate form of 1980s pop rock the production has got these massive drums which are not Collins for once uh, there's a horn section Tony Levin's bass is like funking out all over mm-hmm. the place with these bass fingers and stuff but even if you don't like that sound and it is a really 80s sound but even if you don't like it the songs again are strong enough But it it shines through, you know, all killer, no filler, as they say. You've got Red Rain is a a roaring opener. You've got Quiet Reflection and Emotion with Mercy Street and Don't Give Up, which is the the Kate Bush guest track. You've got the hits with Sledgehammer and Big Time, which still hold up. They're still really great, catchy tracks. And then it ends, for once, with On a Gabriel album, with an actually positive track featuring Yusu Endur who most people, certainly in the UK, had never heard of before. But Gabriel had gotten to know him through the Womad Festival. And it's, you know, a fantastic track to end that album on. I just, I love it from start to finish. my they return And the grand
1: facade, so soon will burn.
3: Yeah, I mean, I had no idea who Peter Gabriel is. You know, when Sledgehammer came out, um, it was the, the music video for that, yeah. which was a stop motion yeah, animated yeah. music video mm-hmm. made by Aardman Animation, who did the Wallace and Gromit. Um, and. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know Genesis other than the fact that they were the kind of unhip dad band at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually wrote in my notes, sorry, Anthony. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I was I bought this and I was blown away and I went back and I found all this older stuff. And yeah, it's just it's the sound of it. Uh it's just so good. The uh you mentioned the very eighties sound. Um the
0: funny thing is that I think of the eighties sound as being the very synth heavy kind of early half of the eighties sound. But this is this was uh produced by Daniel Lenoir, who also produced the Joshua Tree yeah. and the Unforgettable Fire for U2. And they all have this a a sound like this. It's it's not synthy. But it's this, I think I, I read an article that called it the gaseous cloud effect. It's sort of like just this, you know, kind of permeation of, uh, of these instruments in this way. And it is a sound that you can't miss if you hear it. You're like, yeah, okay, that is, that's the sound.
4: Even though it's not filled with synthesizers, it's almost like a synthesized cavernous sound. Yeah. It's, it, everything's full of that's reverb, the cloud. but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't sound like natural reverb. Yeah, it's, uh, it's as you say, really distinctive
0: what I was going to say about this, Anthony, but you you sniped it so I get to talk about it now instead, so thank you, yep. <laughs> is that this is the album that that I think more than any I, I heard in the 80s, and it defined my musical taste going forward for basically the rest of my life, where I heard this wow. and it was like, oh, this is the kind of music that I like. Because before then, I was trying all sorts of things that were, you know, this popular album and this popular album, some of them I liked, some of them I didn't like. And then I bought So, and at that point, I immediately went back and found, uh, you know, at every trip to a record store was a quest to get those four previous peter gabriel solo albums and the plays live album and or and the genesis stuff from the 70s and that that was just that moment of like oh no i must buy everything that this person ever produced and it was all very different actually than so but you know this is and and that it, it i would point at this one more than any other single album as sort of solidifying my musical taste
3: so it's a it's a great album Always hard to get those older albums because they're all called the same thing.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, that was it. Is you had to, you had to find the like, look at the picture and see which one it which it's one it was. Be- it's
4: because he he wanted to approach it as if they were a magazine, like magazine. Each issue of a magazine doesn't have a different name, so that was how he wanted to treat his record releases. Like this is just the latest edition of Peter Gabriel's music. Such a weirdo. I mean, it's Gabriel. Always <laughs> oh, pretentious as hell. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah absolutely. And pl- you mentioned plays live. Like you're right. That that. It's the, so good. It's a very good live album. It's a double album, and it's it is a sampler. It is the best material, or most of the best material, from his first four solo albums, and it drops a lot of the stuff that is not uh, not as good. And so you get over that patchiness problem that that the early solo albums have, which are they, they have brilliant stuff like Salisbury Hill and Here Comes the Flood and and uh, you know an Intruder and I mean there's a lot of good stuff on right. there uh, up
6: through shop. the Monkey
4: to do things like Mario the Burger exactly. Which,
6: Which is my favorite Peter Gabriel song? By the way, I didn't
4: know you were going to say that. I love it so
0: much. That's how a solo career begins.
6: We'll find Find out.
0: out. (laughs) That's the '70s album draft. We'll get there. That's 1977. All right, stepping away from the '80s for just a moment, again to tell you about another sponsor. This episode of the Incomparable is brought to you by Brilliant. Brilliant is a problem-solving website that teaches you to think like a scientist. They take huge concepts like gravity, rocket science right? I mean, that's what you hear. This isn't rocket science. This is rocket science. And they take it and they break it up into tiny, understandable, bite-sized chunks. Don't worry, you're not going to sit through lectures here with Brilliant. You can be discovering the answers yourself with interactive puzzles and problem-solving courses. This is stuff you play with rather than just listen to. Brilliant presents every subject with clear thinking across each section, building up to an interesting conclusion. It's a different way of learning that will engage you. And if you get stuck... And if you get stuck, Brilliant has a team of real scientists on hand to get you back to learning. You can join a community of six. Million members who share your curiosity and love for math and science. Brilliant will help you engage with thought provoking problems that lead you from initial curiosity to conceptual mastery in math and science. One of their most interesting courses is called Physics of Every Day. By the end of that course, you'll have a great understanding of how the physics of our world works. You'll be problem solving weird and wonderful things like how to front flip a motorcycle, how conservation can solve crime, and just how much food animals need to stay alive. You never know. This might just help you write that science fiction novel. That you've been dreaming about writing. This course is also an awesome introduction to what Brilliant has to offer. Their courses are totally interactive, helping you easily retain the wonderful knowledge you learn. You'll be mastering concepts through fun, guided problem solving. To learn more about Brilliant, just go to brilliant.org Snell right now. The first 500 people who do so will get a 20% off on a Brilliant annual premium subscription. And of course, it helps support The Incomparable. Thank you to Brilliant for supporting The Incomparable.
5: Uh, Alright, Kelly Okay, uh, we're into the second round We're well into the second round And nobody's picking it, so I'm going there And that is Wham! UK Fantastic Oh my god <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> Not Make It Big I have strong opinions about Make It Big And that's a whole nother show, I guarantee it I've been a George Michael fan forever Because I got this record about in 1984 And uh, I basically adored George Michael uh, after that This album is astounding because, to me, because, uh, first of all, like, even if they retouched, like, the picture on the front, like, you can tell that that's a couple of high school kids who aren't quite done with their battle with acne. Like, I'm just putting it out there. It's not a flattering photo of either one of them. And it doesn't matter because they were, like, 19 or whatever when this record came out, when they were recording it and everything. And, there's some really awesome stuff on here. Like, A Ray of Sunshine is... I would put that song up against any other 80s song any day of the week. I think it's really great. Uh, they have a cover of Love Machine that I like. Uh, Club Tropicana is a song that I will always love. And uh, You Can Fight Me and You Will Lose. Um <laughs> that's i i love that song so much young guns is you know a great poppy song there's a lot of stuff on this record that like the whole thing i just really enjoy don't forget wham um,
6: rap exclamation mark oh wham rap enjoy (laughs) what you do
5: is a great song and this was one of the first times that i remember hearing a song and knowing what the words were but not knowing what they meant and having to go determine what that was I'm, I'm a soul boy, I'm a dole boy oh, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what that yeah. is And I have to go find out And so um, this was very What do I do? There's my- no internet <laughs> Well yeah, in my day it was the library So I to had the to the go library. get all this yeah. information the hard way
1: Hey, one from head to toe. Cool cat, gone, that you know I'm a soul boy
5: And like, I still, uh, as long as I have carried music around with me in some portable fashion, whether it was a cassette and a Walkman or a CD and a Walkman or an MP3 player of some variety or a smartphone, uh, I have always had Wham and George Michael records on it. I profoundly, I, I'm not gonna go as far as to say what Jason said about, uh, Peter Gabriel, which is, this is the music that I like going forward. Um, but every Wham record is, is dear to me in a different way. Um, I was, I, I was never the hugest fan of Make It Big, but I really enjoy some of the not so popular songs. Uh, I think Edge of Heaven is a really great record. I liked all of George's solo stuff. Um, the Listen Without Prejudice. Uh, reissue that came out last year on my birthday was amazing i need to
0: not invite you on the 90s album draft because you will snipe listen without prejudice from me but uh <laughs> i love that it's <laughs> a great album i never podcast. properly
6: appreciated uh, george michael until i heard that and i said this
0: this guy is a true talent sadly not eligible because that was 1990
5: yes it was um so but i this isn't this is again another album that i don't remember how i ended up with it but i did get a version on cassette that said wham uk on it because there was a point where they had to change their name for a stretch of time in the united states because of some other band not what i
0: would have guessed for a wham choice but uh that's this that's this draft this draft is uh is going to defy your expectations at every turn speaking of which here's steve lutz What? (laughs) I don't know what that means. I have no idea what to do here. I have so many
6: albums on my list. (laughs) And strangely enough, we're all talking about these things for a really long time. So I don't think we're going to get to too many of them. So I guess I'll jump straight to this one. You know, people who are young and listening to this, you millennial types who weren't around in the 80s, probably (laughs) have asked yourself at one point or another, can there really have been that much cocaine around back then? <laughs> it's not like people were so coked up that, say, a punk rock band might decide it would be a good idea to dress up like Louis the Fourteenth, Apache Warrior, and his dread crew of Dandy Pirates, and then go out and sing about Clint Eastwood. Yes. 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 Yay! My young friends, let me introduce you to a little band called Adam and the Ants. Yes. <laughs> yes! And in particular, this may come as a surprise, their third and final album, Prince Charming. No,
4: that's yeah. on my uh, Bring Out Your Dead list. That is their best album.
6: I yeah, had a 100%. hard time deciding between this and Kings of the Wild Frontier, which is also great, but I like this one just a little bit better. Um, this has less of the drum-heavy Burundi beat sound that was there and Bow Wow Wow with Adam's previous band. Um, their signature sound on on Kings. Uh, Prince Charming is kind of all over the map musically. Frankly, it's a bit of a mess, but I love it all the more for that. Uh, it's, it's like there was an explosion at the musical idea factory, and they couldn't quite figure out which bins to put everything back in afterwards. <laughs> the song people are probably most familiar with from this is Stand and Deliver, which got A reasonable amount of airplay it's great but it doesn't even scratch the surface of the craziness that's afoot on this album
2: (laughs) but he's a dandy highwayman
6: he is indeed and i love him for that (laughs) but we're not too scared to mention it it starts off with scorpios which has got a brass section and flute and it sounds like it came from a groovy spy movie uh it's about a gang of young street toughs who go around stopping fashion crimes or something i don't know (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> Fashion is
6: danger. <laughs> the title track, Prince Charming, is just a gorgeous cinematic song. It's a call to action for unapologetic weirdos that features the repeated lyric, Ridicule is nothing to be scared of, which are good words to remember when you go on stage dressed as your grandma's couch. <laughs> <laughs> You're Five Guns West is an honest to god cowboy song yep. uh, in the vein of Wham! rap! Uh <laughs> there's Ant Rap which yes is Adam Ant rapping over what sounds like a high school drumline and it is embarrassing.
5: Does he implore you to enjoy what you do?
6: He does indeed. Well, he kind of does in in a
4: roundabout that's way. That's kind of the whole album.
6: Ant <laughs> rap does grow on you after a while, although it took me longer than most. Uh, my favorite song is Picasso visita el planeta yes. de los de los simios. Yes, that's <laughs> Spanish for Picasso visits the planet of the apes. Such a strange song. <laughs> it's one of my favorite oh, songs yeah. of all time. I, I'm awesome. unafraid to say that it's it's one third like a Spanish tinged, almost flamenco verse. Uh, One third, just the loveliest descending pop chorus you've ever heard. And one third, a jungle freakout that's filled with howling and monkey noises. (laughs) So if you love monkey noises, this is your song. It is crazy and fun and wonderful. (laughs) Why, I do, Steve. Thank you. You should definitely pick it up. It's apparently also about how people's love of junky pop art blinds them to the greatness of the classical masters, which is not a theme that you frequently get in pop songs (laughs) of the 1980s. (laughs) I have to give special mention to Marco Peroni's guitar work, which is, I love it so much. It sounds like it was born of, of... a union between ennio morricone and a chainsaw i i love it so
4: very much <laughs> it really is a fantastic album
6: the only thing I'd, i i maybe dislike a little bit is the production on this which i wish was just a little more dynamic i love all the layering all the different instruments the overabundance of adams vocal tracks there's just so much going on in these songs and yet in the final mix i i feel like they end up sounding a little flat um I don't think it's going to get remixed at this point, unfortunately. But uh, overall, just a terrific, underappreciated, unafraid album, I think is how I would describe it. That was just, it was way ahead of its time. And you have to admire just the sheer of these guys uh, who else was writing pirate sea chanties in 1980
4: well they were riding high it was a bit like i said about the kate bush thing they were so they were popular riding high all right they, well, yeah. <laughs> but they were so popular by this point that they could do just about anything uh, yeah. and they did <laughs> and this sort of sunk
6: them actually I, they, it was poorly received critically but um
4: yeah it was too weird yeah
6: yeah but i you should definitely seek out the picture from the back of the album sleeve if you don't listen to the album even uh oh, yeah. in which the band is all decked out in their dandy highwomen clothes and they do not look very down with it <laughs> <laughs> it looks like peter pan died and the lost boys have started aging and they have not aged well <laughs> Oh man!
4: Yeah. adam was only the only guy in that band who ever looked good in all of that get up and the rest of them just shove them at the back it's hilarious.
2: Who's looking at anyone but Adam? Come on. Who, by the way, is out on tour again? Uh, I know he's playing the Seattle Zoo this summer with The Fix.
4: Ooh, wow. The fix. Oh, wow. Yeah. Again,
2: the the Seattle Zoo He's going to get the monkeys going.
0: Too.
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a bit Mm -hmm. like when you see promo shots of the fields of the Nephilim, and Carl McCoy looks brilliant and completely at home and wonderful and covered in home pride flower and his lovely leather duster, and the rest of the band all just look faintly awkward and embarrassed.
2: (laughs) I like it when they all look awkward and embarrassed, like early New York Dolls pictures where all of them are thinking, whose idea was this?
6: (laughs) So Prince Charming, it's great. Uh, Way ahead of its time, um, you hear echoes of it in many, many albums that came later um if you haven't heard it definitely
0: check it also out. way after its time if what you're thinking of is sea chanties <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> okay um i'm going to just throw in my lot for commercial success but also artistic brilliance i'm going to pick a prince album and I oh, another Prince album. I struggled Prince Charming to <laughs> Prince himself Prince Nelson um, I struggled here because like 1980's Dirty Mind has my favorite Prince song which is When You Were Mine um, I, mm. I really like Sign of the Times his, his double album um, it's got some amazing tracks on it but in the end I'm just gonna say yeah I pick Purple Rain that's all <laughs> I can say it's brilliant there are so many amazing songs on it um, plus It's the first song I ever heard that is explicitly about masturbation, darling Nikki. (laughs) So, you know, take your pick, When Doves Cry, I Would Die For You, Purple Rain, Let's Go Crazy, Take Me With You. Uh, Yeah, it's a good album, and uh, I pick it. That's all I have to say. Prince is a, Prince is brilliant. Every one of his albums, it's a little like Peter Gabriel, but I think it, I think it. Unlike Peter Gabriel, I think Prince had so many different musical styles in his head, mm-hmm. and he tried to get them out. And so on every album, there are songs I like less and songs I like more. Not because they're good or bad, as much as some of his styles are not my favorite, and some of them are right in my wheelhouse. When he writes a power pop song. I am there for it. <laughs> and then there are other songs where I'm like, yeah, this doesn't do it for me. Um, but there's always brilliant stuff on every Prince album. But I feel like it all kind of came together um, with Purple Rain, at least for me. So, Purple Rain.
3: You say you want to lead up, but you can't seem to make up your mind. I think
1: you better close Let me guide you.
5: Like, even, with Prince, even if it's not necessarily a song or a, st- a particular style that I enjoy, I can still sit there and like marvel. Oh yeah, at the workmanship, at the songwriting, and the talent the, the that is playing, there. There's like, always jams, yeah, yeah. Even if it's not my jam, like yep. you know, because a, there's so much that is, and b, like you know, the fact that he was who he was and was able to do you know all of that stuff. Um, Uh, One thing that I saw about him that I thought was sort of funny was somebody said, like David Bowie and Doctor Who, everybody has their favorite (laughs) prince, which I think is probably true.
3: One thing I'd recommend is if search out uh, Kevin Smith talking about the time he got invited to make a documentary by (gasps) Prince, it it is a a fascinating tale.
0: One of my favorite um, Prince anecdotes, and I only heard this a few years ago, is that he... When he was putting together Purple Rain, he actually called uh, Jonathan Cain from Journey and and wanted to play him Purple Rain because he was worried that it sounded like Faithfully by Journey, which it does it's the same chord progression it's kind of eerie and jonathan King's like no that's amazing go ahead don't worry about us it's all good (laughs) but like the prince was like yeah is this a little too journey i'm gonna ask journey and journey was like no it's fine he's like okay well then i'll release purple rain okay (laughs) that's the 80s for you right there that that, that prince and and if you think prince and journey could not be more different uh, it's not true they they have they they there are connections everywhere i i almost put journey's greatest hits on my list, which would totally be cheating but oh it's boy. almost there uh monty <laughs> uh third third round will pick up the pace ha ha, 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 ha. it's but, the third round <laughs> go ahead Monty
2: Just lightning the third. round. Not the last round yet?
0: No, I want to, I want to blow through a third and a fourth round. So, so okay, let's do great. it fast. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're good, mo- we'll do a fourth well, round.
2: Most of the albums I listed when I went through like my iTunes, like what are my favorite 1980s albums? Most of them are from 1987 through 1989, which I think has something to do with when I had a car. So I could go to the record store myself. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I had a box set. That came out in 1985 that I listened to a ton, and I'm just going to own it and put it out there. It was called Dr. Demento Presents the Greatest Novelty <laughs> Records of All Time.
1: Yes! I had it so
2: good! Now, I don't want to introduce an entire six record set. They had one record per decade plus one for Christmas, because I was the sort of kid who would happily listen to an entire album of Christmas-themed novelty music. Uh the specific disc I'm going to draft is the one for the nineteen eighties, because that seems most appropriate. Yep. Uh the first side is brought down a little bit by the inclusion of the curly shuffle and the bedrock oh wrap. no <laughs> yeah
6: jump in the saddle's greatest opus
2: <laughs> but it also has eat, eat it, it the homecoming queen's got a gun and a sketch mm. I love called rock and roll doctor ah! oh yeah how come you're
6: always such a fussy young man don't want no captain crush don't want no raisin brand. well don't you know that other kids are starving in Japan so eat it Just eat it Don't want to argue
2: I don't want to debate Don't want to hear about What kind of food you hate You won't get no dessert Till you clean off your plate So eat it Side two is wall-to-wall great stuff. Oh. By which I mean stuff I like. Um, I should not defend Rappin' Rodney, which is a song where Rodney Dangerfield tells oh. songs that tells jokes that sort of rhyme. Oh. but There's no I need enjoy to defend it. it. And I enjoy Marvin I Love You, which is a love song sung <gasps> yes. by Marvin the Paranoid Android from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's got a song called The Scotsman. It's got Another One Rides the Bus. It's got Takeoff by Bob and Doug McKenzie. Mm-hmm. It's got a really weird nonsense song called Existential Blues by a real <gasps> weird nonsense guy. I love that
0: song. I love yeah, it's Existential great. Blues. It's, like, uh, it's very so, strange. It's sort of the Wizard of Oz kind of. Uh, uh, it poppies,
2: goes poppies, into poppies, a big poppies, Wizard poppies, of Oz yeah. section. Puppies, yeah. puppies, yeah. puppies, puppies. <laughs> so yeah, the Dr. Demento presents the greatest novelty records of all time. Volume five. The 1980s. Colon, the 1980s. The one. Yeah. Yep. A compilation of novelty songs. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Still I
0: almost it. put Weird Al Yankovic in 3D on my long list here because sure. that was one of the first two records I bought <laughs> and I played it a lot. But I, I didn't. Sorry, Weird Al. If Lex Friedman were here, that would be on the list. No well, doubt. this has two
2: Weird Al songs, <laughs> yeah, which seems mm-hmm.
0: appropriate. Yeah, that's about right.
3: James, what about you? Okay. So in the, the late eighties, around about 1987, I discovered the power of the guitar. Um, I still own a thunderbolt shaped zebra striped guitar that lives, (laughs) it it lives in my parents attic, keeping me musically young to this day. Um, (laughs) But back then, I found uh, the Tommy Vance Friday Rock Show, which was on Radio 1. And I started listening to that. And through that, I won a pair of tickets to go to the Monsters of Rock Festival at (gasps) Castle Donington. Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) And this was in 1988 and I saw Halloween, Guns N' Roses, Dave Lee Roth, Iron Maiden, and notably Megadeth. Um, don't worry. I'm not actually going to pick Megadeth. Halloween. Oh, it's Too bad. I liked the sound of Megadeth, but it wasn't quite right. So I worked backwards from them and I found Metallica and, uh, Ride the Lightning, uh, hey, is going to be great. Nice. Sure. <laughs>
4: we literally just did an entire episode about this album on Thrash It Out. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, you can fill in all the details then. Um, I mean, the, the primal nature of thrash metal appealed enormously to my sort of testosterone soaked youth. And to me, I think this is the high point of the genre. Anthony may have opinions on that. Um, but. <laughs> I I really liked the, you know, here's a lovely little bit of classical guitar, no, no, we fooled you again,
1: dun, 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 (laughs) uh, (laughs) approach,
3: which they do literally all the time, but I love it every time they do. That was the first time they did it. Um, And and just, it's just so good. Um, High point for me is For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yes. Yes!
5: I think that's one of my favorite Metallica songs. It's not like I have it's, a long yeah, list of awesome them or anything, song. but that's a really that's a real standout for me.
4: Yeah. As possibly the greatest intro of all time yeah. as well.
5: Yes. <laughs>
0: All right. Metallica. Local local band. San Francisco band. I'm gonna take credit for that. Anthony, it's your turn. <laughs> There's Metallica night. Quickly- the, the they just had it the other night. The San Francisco Giants do an a, a an annual Metallica night at the ballpark where oh, right, in between innings Dings they Kirk play
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. I saw the photo. Um, so I'll quickly drop in here a quick plug for my podcast, Thrash It Out. If you do <laughs> like metal, uh, I and my friend Brian Letendre talk about it a lot on our podcast, Thrash It Out, which you can find at thrashitoutpodcast.com i didn't think you had time for podcasts apparently he has time for
0: some podcasts so yeah.
6: I, I
4: literally like we record like one every five weeks it's uh, you know it is the most irregular of irregular shows um plus you know there's always time for metal so my <laughs> next pick is see i always felt bad about picking a compilation album but everyone else is doing it so what the hell my pick is Ultravox's compilation album, The Collection, from 1984. Now, again, I don't know how well known Ultravox are in the US, mm. uh, but you've probably all heard the song, song Vienna.
6: That yep, that's the one, yeah, right? Yep.
4: That's the one, right. Okay, okay. So, uh, and the leader of the band, Mid-Jure, you may not know his name, but even if you haven't heard Vienna, you've definitely heard some of his other work because he co-wrote Do They Know It's Christmas? The Band-Aid mm-hmm. song. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a
6: point in his favour, you oh, say? <laughs> no, well,
4: no, no, no. I'm just saying you know him from it. Uh, uh, and if you know the Visage song, Fade to Grey, he was one of the songwriters of that, too. Visage was a sort of super group, and that was where mm-hmm. he met yeah. Billy Curry, Ultravox's keyboard player. For a given definition of super, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, at, at the time, at the time, uh, when they first started ultravox were a really sort of avant-garde proto-synth outfit in the late 70s like pioneers and innovators of synthesized and uh tape loop music under a guy called john fox but frankly they didn't have a lot well they didn't have any hits and they didn't have a lot of great songs fox left yule was brought in as the new frontman and started writing songs they went in a in a more radio-friendly direction that's fair to say but they became pioneers in the nascent new romantic movement um and Vienna of course took off for them huge in I think 1981 and after that Mm. they just had hit after hit after hit I mean they were huge over here to the point that they'd only been around four years and they could release an entire compilation album full of hits uh which is you know kind of impressive but they've become so associated with that period that a lot of people sort of look back on them now with, again, vague, you know, faint embarrassment by association. But that is, in my opinion, a tragedy because they were genuine innovators and they were head and shoulders above most of the other synth new romantic bands because they had just these great songs. Uh, And this album is full of them and it is literally a compilation album of their hits. And if you, apart from the production and the synthesizer sounds, they all just sound as good now as they ever did. It's a fantastic album of just great songs from that period. Uh, and a fun fact, everybody thinks that Ultravox used a drum machine, but because they this was so long ago, they predated good drum machines. Drum machines couldn't do what they wanted to do. So uh, the drummer, Warren can, practiced drumming with the precision of a drum machine to fool people so that he could then do something like a syncopated fill that no drum machine of the time could do just to make other musicians go, whoa, 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 wait, what? I thought this was a drum machine. Oh, how we laughed. You know, that is a
0: fun fact.
6: mid was also in uh, Thin Lizzy for a time, which maybe yes, he a more yep. familiar cultural touchstone for old farts like myself.
4: Yep. Might be. <laughs> yeah, he was a guitarist in there for a while, yeah.
0: Oh, the collection from Ultravox, I'll allow it. Uh, Kelly, your turn. <laughs>
5: Um, I'm still back at the fact that this is the second time that I've been on a podcast with Anthony where Ultravox has come up as part of the conversation. Um, he's always going <laughs> on about Ultravox. Yeah. Can't shut him up.
2: It's buzz marketing. He's in, he's in the pay of big Ultravox.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> big
5: Ultravox. They're coming okay, back. Um, They're coming back. <laughs> so, uh, I'm gonna pick an album. Um, this has, Become a beloved album for me, but mostly I'm picking it for uh, the special place it has in my heart. And uh, this album is from a very specific time in my life. And uh, that time is when my dad drove a green Chevrolet Silverado truck and it had the wing windows and it had the woven seat cover and it had it was i think the first time he had a a cassette deck and i think it was a much older truck um and one of the the cassettes that made its way into the pickup and basically never made it out again was an album from 1985 called the Highwaymen. And that album reminds which me, which nobody of,
4: else has heard of, by the sounds <laughs> of it. <laughs> I guess,
5: which I don't quite understand, because the high, like, if we want to talk about a super group, the Highwaymen are in fact a super group, okay? Because let's start with Johnny Cash.
2: Oh, that Highwaymen, yeah, yeah, yeah Waylon,
5: remember. Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christofferson. So these four guys decided they were going to be a band together, and. They came out with this record and uh, there's, there are, are three of them. This one came out in 1985. Um, it's the one that you if you've seen a Highwayman album cover, it's probably this one because it's like the four of them, their faces in the clouds over like a sweeping vista that looks like something from a John Wayne movie. So they're the
6: traveling Wilburys before the traveling Yes, Wilburys. exactly.
5: Yeah, it's like the traveling Wilburys in beta. Like those the songs are great songs, uh a lot of them. Like I remember uh obviously the the title track, but Desperados Waiting for a train is one that I can hear my dad singing along with in my head all the time. Uh Big River is another good one. Um uh Johnny Cash wrote that. Uh, I remember that. I remember having to look it up for something back in the day. Uh, they have a version of Bob Seekers "Against the Wind." Uh, there's like there's just a bunch of really great stuff on here, and it's and none of them are off their game in this particular album. Uh, which is one of the things like sometimes when you get a super group, it's like one guy they brought in for name recognition, but maybe he's not like a super contributor or um he's sort of at a phase in his career where like not a lot of what he's doing is getting a lot of attention. And that wasn't the case here. And uh that's one of the things that I really like about this album. So for me, this is equal parts like, Listening to this album, it sounds like a great album. I know it's not a pop record necessarily, but uh, a lot of people have heard the song, The Highwaymen.
1: I'll fly a starship across the universe divide. And when I reach the other side, I'll find a place to rest my spirit if I can. Perhaps I may become a highwayman again. Or I may simply be a single drop of rain. But I will remain. And I'll be back again and, again and again and again.
5: For me, it's also uh, sentimental because, like I said, it it's like my dad in the 80s in this truck that was very 80s and like. We were headed probably to the cabin to do I don't know what while we were there. And then we would like have a campfire and hot dogs and marshmallows and, you know, like super, you know, outsidey sorts of activities. So like in, in my life, this album is the soundtrack to a great big piece of it that I really enjoy.
0: As a kid watching um, music videos, I always wanted the trifecta of a song that was also the album title that was also the name of the band, which to my yes. knowledge never happened. But this does this is the song Highway Man on the album <laughs> Highway Man by the Highwaymen is pretty damn close. The closest I came before was of course the band Talk Talk. Had an album yeah. had a yep. song called Talk Talk. And sadly they did not name their album Talk Talk. No. They named it the party's over and therefore missed the amazing TBS Nitrax trifecta that would have happened
4: <laughs> especially with a name that was already a repetition. Yes I know right?
0: It's like a double jackpot at a slot machine. Why would you casino. not?
4: Yeah
0: oh well, but anyway, highway highwayman, the Men. Is the choice, Steve? It's your turn. Oh
2: boy! Oh boy!
0: <laughs> I'm excited.
2: Um, <laughs> oh, that makes it more sense then.
6: I feel like I need to pick an album from this band because I felt really bad about not picking an album from this band in the overall album draft. They are one of my favorite bands, uh, very high on the list, sorely underappreciated by the mainstream audience, um, but geeks like me seem to enjoy them a lot. Uh, and this is uh, this is going to be an album by XTC. Ah, yeah. I could have picked pretty much any album they released in the 1980s. Um, Wait a
0: second, Steve. You're picking XTC after picking Adam Ant. I know. You've made you made a They Might Be Giants song. They Might Fight someday.
6: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could really have picked any album they made in the 1980s. They're all great, um, with the possible exception of Skylarking, which I've never liked. Huh that's the one everybody seems to think is so great. And even now I'm I'm wavering but I think I'm going to pick my first xtc which was oranges and lemons from 1989. um oh yeah It. it, it's uh like i said it's the first one i heard i know timing has a lot to do with it it also happened to be an album that i enjoyed in the summer after high school which was uh it's kind of i think like a key time for musical appreciation is right after high school and your college years those will be the albums that i think stick with you the most um it's you know it's a theory i have it's probably not very good um But uh, they cover a ton of musical ground here. It's very, very richly produced. Almost too much, I would say. It sounds a little too glossy today. But, uh, man, there's so much good stuff on here. Um, The song that hooked me was Mayor of Simpleton, which I think I saw on MTV when they used to actually play music videos, um, which was a long time ago, which to me is 100% perfect, sunny, pop song with some just lovely lyrics um it actually was one of the songs i used to sing my kids to sleep with when they were very very small uh because i love it so very much King for a Day was the other semi-hit from the album. It's not really one of my favorites, but uh, but this album has The Loving, which is just gorgeous. Uh, Poor Skeleton Steps Out, which is almost like a lost Oingo Boingo track. Um, <laughs> Hold Me My Daddy, which I cannot hear without tearing up uh oh and of course pink thing um which is a sprightly jazzy little number that is either about andy partridge's infant daughter or the part of his body what helped make her (laughs) jury's kind of out on that i assume it's the penis thing but you know um it's just great i mean it's it's a long album i think it was actually released as like three mini albums in a set uh, but it's terrific, man. I love it. It's uh
4: just pop perfection.
0: All right, I am going to, in the, to end the third round, and then we'll move on to a really quick fourth round. I'm going to pick. <laughs> 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 yeah. We've
4: actually done the third round pretty quick. Yeah, no, really, I think we might actually uh, yeah. we
0: might actually get this done. So I'm going to pick. I, I think this is a little obscure. Um, and I'm cheating a little bit because I, I actually discovered this artist early in the '90s and then went back through his catalog. But I don't care. I'm I can do what I want. <laughs> I love power pop. There was a lot of amazing power pop in the 80s, and one of the great power pop artists of the 80s and 90s is a uh, guy from Detroit named Marshall Crenshaw, who a lot of people have not heard from, but he made a... Someday, Someway. He made, he made Someday, Someway from his first album, which came out in 1980, uh, and that's a really good album, but you know, there's an album he did that was better called Field Day, his second album, which has some amazing songs on it, including Whenever You're On My Mind, uh, and hold it. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff on there. It sounds great. The album sounds almost timeless. It has, um, it has for for an album from 1982, 83. It has. No synthesizers, really. It doesn't sound like a 1983 album. I'm not quite sure what it sounds like, but it gives it a timeless quality that um, a lot of the albums from this period don't have. Um, These are just simple pop songs. I think he kind of wishes he was recording his album in the 60s, but he was born a little bit too late for that. Monday Morning Mm -hmm. Rock, another great song on here. It all sounds really good. It's just a great sounding album with a bunch of really simple Beautiful pop songs, and I, uh, you know, Marshall Crenshaw has got a lot of great records that he's produced over the years. But uh, this is my favorite of his, and it, there's a purity to it. There's just a simple beauty of uh, of making making pretty three minute pop songs, and not caring. <laughs> Who knows? It he's just going to do that. Um, so I recommend it. Uh, the album cover is him in front of like a a school with a flagpole. I don't really know. It looks like a yearbook photo, but it's a great album. So Field Day, Marshall Crenshaw. <laughs> And that brings us back around one last set of picks. Monty, what are you going to do?
2: Uh, well, back in the 1980s, there was a concept called the local band, where a band could be really huge in, this, in one city and release albums and have a huge following and be unknown outside of it. And in San Diego, that band was the Beat Farmers, and I loved the Beat Farmers. <gasps> yeah. They, they were kind of a cowpunk thing. They're like 80% rock, 20% country, except once or twice on, per album, their drummer, Country Dick Montana, would sing a filthy novelty song. <laughs> uh, they were great. I am I could pick any of their albums from the 80s. I'm actually going to pick their EP, Glad and Greasy, because I really like the covers on it. There's a cover of Neil Young's Powderfinger, a cover of Rod McEwan's Beat Generation, which Rod McEwen meant contemptuously, but the Beat Farmers play not ironically, and it's great. And it has the best version of Big Rock Candy Mountain ever. In the Big Rock Candy Mountain.
1: There's a land that's fair and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes,
2: and you sleep out every night, where the fly stars all are indeed, and the sun shines every day, on the birds and the bees, and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings on the big rock candy mountain. In the big rock candy mountain, all the cops have wooden legs, and the bulldogs all have rubber teeth, and the hens lay hard-boiled eggs.
1: Farmers' trees are full of fruit, the barns are full of hay. I'm bound to go where rain don't no snow, where the rain don't no fall, and the wind don't blow in the big rock candy mountain, boy.
2: And if you go on Spotify, you can just listen to their 1985 album, Tales of the New West, which has Happy Boy, their most famous novelty song. And then at the end of the regular Tales of the New West, you get the, uh, I think, eight songs of Glad and Greasy.
0: The Beat Farmers. I remember them, I, I guess, because I went to
2: college in San Diego. I, yeah, I, they played UCSD a couple times. Yeah. Free shows. They were awesome.
0: Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. All right, the Beat Farmers. James? So, uh, with the exception of So, nobody has picked any of the things that I had. So, I've got so many left. And uh, I'm now trying I to think decide. I think we all do. Yeah. <laughs> what is the one that I'm going to I'm going to give this to, ah, oh, it's difficult. Right. Uh, since I was told I can't pick Zuluk, as Anthony already picked that Indeed. in the previous podcast, uh, I'm going to go down a slightly similar avenue here. I think you could describe my early musical tastes as anything with a Fairlight CMI synthesizer <laughs> or produced by Trevor Horn. So I'm going to go with the Who's buttles. Afraid No. Well, I like that, but no. I'm gonna going to go with Who's Afraid of the Art of Noise by The yes. Art of oh, Noise. Yes. So digital sampling was starting to become more commonplace, but in 84, we were kind of still at the make a song out of a dog barking at different pitches level of sampling, (laughs) um, until the art of noise came along. And this is a pretty experimental album and some might even call it a touch pretentious. Uh, but I absolutely loved it and loved everything they did. Standout track is close to the edit, which was kind of the, the big single that took off. But it, I, I like everything on it. Um yeah, that's my pick.
4: Excellent choice, yeah. A great album, yeah. They did uh, just one quick recommendation of a later album that they did um, about the life of Claude Debussy. Oh, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. have absolutely fantastic. Yeah, oh, if that's you have right. get hold of it, it doesn't
2: sound like early art of noise, but it's a really good
4: album. Oh, I haven't yeah, even no, it's, thought yeah, about that record in different, so long. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, Invisible yeah. I,
0: Silence I, is the one that I that I listen to. That's got Paranormia and uh, the Peter Gunn cover on it, which is uh, yeah. that was their breakthrough uh, in the, the U.S. There's I a think.
3: version of Paranormia with Max, Max Headroom. Oh yes, yeah, yeah oh, there I love is. that one. Yeah, there oh. is. Oh, that's right. It's but so good. <laughs> you can get you can get a Fairlight CMI uh, emulator for the iPad, and it has <gasps> some of the Art of Noise noises in it, including a horn, which I think is called Trevor Horn. Um, and and i i played with that like channeling my inner art of noise for for quite a long time i
4: just looked it up it's called the seduction of claude debussy i have it on my shelf i just had to get up and look at it channeling the inner art of noise anthony it's your turn now okay so uh something a little bit more obscure this time but i am still sticking even though i really want to because there's so many other albums but i'm sticking with albums that are basically perfect from start to finish so (laughs) dreams so real the album Rough Night in Jericho from nineteen eighty eight. Most people have never heard of this band. They were a band from Athens, Georgia, and I first saw them featured on the Athens, Georgia Inside Out documentary from nineteen eighty-seven. Nothing else has ever come out
6: of that place.
4: Right. No, <laughs> showcased the musical scene in the wake, obviously, of REM's success. Dreams So Real, they're not interviewed on the film, and nobody else in the film ever mentions them. But right smack bang in the middle of the film, (laughs) they are—they have been recorded playing a song in a rehearsal room, and it really stands out because of all the bands in that film, they aren't trying to be R.E.M. or the B-52s, which pretty much all of the other bands are. So I, I loved this one song that I heard, and the next year they released their debut album. So I tracked it down, which... Obviously, in 1988, as we said, took, you know, pre internet, took a bit of detective work, um, and promptly bought it, like Sight Unseen, and discovered that the song they play in the documentary is not on this album. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> thank goodness it doesn't matter because this is some of the highest quality pop rock you will ever hear. A just fantastic songwriting from start to finish every single song there are 10 songs and every single one is as catchy as hell and they all have something different or unusual that elevates them above regular sort of you know aor pop rock radio stuff some minor key change or a weird rhythmic thing or an odd counterpoint melody something that keeps your attention and just elevates it above the pack. I have, I can and have listened to this album over and over and over again. I, I never, ever get tired of it. It is... You You can l- listen to the whole thing, sing along, get to the end, and literally just start all over again, and it... The whole thing just sounds completely fresh every time. It's brilliant. Sadly, they only released one more album after this, and it was pretty bad. And then they split up. But... <laughs> this Doesn't one matter. album... <laughs> this one album is just... And it really is honestly almost a perfect album from start to finish so so good
1: so it comes to an end everything that you thought turns out to be feathers born on the wind bearing witness the driver.
0: dream so real interesting kelly your turn
5: okay um i have to narrow this down to just mm-hmm. one now um i have such a list i'm going to go with uh, introspective by the pet shop boys uh partly mm-hmm. because of my not so, yep. so not so secret affinity for trevor horn and <laughs> um also because uh where i lived we didn't have a lot of dance clubs or dance music or anything like that. <laughs> paved so paved roads. Or pavement or yeah. Um the band or the, the, or the, the asphalt purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, neither one. So the thing about Introspective, uh which came out in nineteen eighty eight that uh was eye opening to me, not because this is necessarily an outstanding Pet Shop Boys album. I mean it's not very by any stretch of the imagination. It's not interesting like bilingual or any of the other stuff that kind of came later. Um but the thing about it that, that it really gave me was the remix and taking something that was maybe like a, a, a radio edit sort of a song and then adding a bunch of extra stuff to that and like turning it into something very different and going in a very different direction with it, which was something that I had never heard before, uh, in junior high when this came out. So getting to hear, um, you know, this is also like the first time I ever heard anything that like Frankie Knuckles had anything to do with, for example. And, um, some of the other stuff that like, I know, um, I'm not scared was, was covered by somebody in the UK that I didn't get to hear until many years later. Uh, but like some of the stuff that I enjoyed on here, like I want a dog, which is just such a weird song is great. Um, it's all right is, is one of my favorites. Left to my own devices is one of my very favorite Pat Shop Boy songs. I could leave Like, getting to hear a really long version of Domino Dancing and uh, the Pet Shop Boys version of an Elvis Presley song with with Always On My Mind, you know, or a Willie Nelson song, depending where you're from. Uh, (laughs) Like, getting to hear those things in such a different way was fascinating to me. And it's part of where I think my continued love of electronic music comes from. So I'm going with introspective.
0: And Steve...
6: What do you have? What do I have? Wow, I have a huge list that I'm not going to be able to get to. But uh, and I feel I feel like I'm uh, I'm favoring the very early part of the '80s uh, with my previous picks, except for oranges and lemons. Uh, and I feel like I should probably stretch out a little bit and uh, maybe hit the middle of the decade. But I'm not going to. I'm going to pick 1981's Oingo Boingo Only Lad. <laughs> mm, Yay! Nice. Wow. Another band that I f- I feel like is relatively unknown outside of the los angeles southern california region which may or may not be true it's basically mostly ska inflected party music Mm -hmm. but i just i love how many different moving parts there are to each of these songs there are like 30 guys in the band and they're they're (laughs) always doing something at any given moment even if it's just like a single horn stab to add texture um this was also the first band that I saw in concert, and it's it's amazing how well they could recreate these songs live given given how complex they are. Um, yeah. The the musical complexity, I think, is the biggest draw for me, but the lyrics are also gleefully perverse and uh, usually very funny. This is not the more pop-oriented Oingo Boingo of the Dead Man's Party years. This is the strange, creepy band from Forbidden Zone and uh, the uh, notable appearance they made on the gong show.
2: Aren't they still the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo at that point?
6: I think they had just taken that name off, but... uh, I, like their initial singles might have still had that, that, uh, that prefix attached. But I mean, this, this album opens with Little Girls, which is just this magnificent frantic tune that it takes a couple of listens before you realize it's written from the perspective of a likely pedophile, <laughs> which it's uh it's a little disturbing when you uh, when you really get down to it. But um, Elfman later said he wrote that based on some uh, dudes he would see big wigs in Hollywood walking around with very young looking women. It's not really supposed to be like a you know up with pedophile song. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's they're very much a geek band. Um, you know uh, this has on the outside on it which is a great Mm. anthem to disenfranchised unpopular kids which Mm. you might be surprised played quite well with teenaged me and yet Um, it's it's
0: super it's super peppy and and energetic while you're being an outsider yeah and it's funny i mean it's a very funny track
6: as well This ends with "Nasty Habits," which is a, a
0: another song about self love. That uh, Jason mentioned <laughs> yeah, one earlier, darling Nikki. Sure, meet "Nasty Habits."
5: Is this the one with the Kinks cover on it? Is this where yes, the, the, this the Ongo Bungo really really got, got, got me?
6: Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, just a bizarre cover of that song and very good. Oh,
5: I very much enjoy it. That's i I very much of it. I've always enjoyed Ongo Bungo. Other people may know them as that band in the Rodney Dangerfield movie about yes. going to college.
6: Yep. So. Yeah, D- Dead Man's Party and Weird Science were their kind of their big their big tunes, but uh, this was the the earlier years when they were a little weirder and I think a, a lot more fun. Um, <laughs> and I, I also love uh, there's a song on here called Capitalism, which is just a hilarious takedown of suburban white kids who think wearing tight dyed T-shirts and complaining about their own affluence means they're civil rights crusaders. Mm. <laughs> which uh, you know, I, I get see some parallels. Yeah. Um uh, but yeah, yeah, just a great album end to end and uh and a lot of fun and also uh musically there's a lot going on there. And uh I listen to I I dig out my Boingo albums every year
0: around Halloween still. So uh, I will close out our, our fourth round and then we'll go around and ask everybody to, to name everything that Ring they didn't get a chance to pick. But before we do that, I'm just going to do the obvious because it has to be done. I did a whole podcast about it. You can listen to I'll put it in the show notes. Inquisitive number 41 <laughs> with Mike Hurley. It's the self-titled debut album from Crowded House called, of course, Crowded House, 1986. I'm amazed it took this long. I, I didn't need to wait. I have, Well, last draft, David picked Together Alone, which is a, another great Crowded House album. And so I just kind of like let it go. But I wasn't going to let it go this time one of my favorite albums to this day also has that gaseous uh sound kind of uh cloudy sound like like so it's a very similar mitchell Froome mm. uh produced it it does not sound like a super synthy 80s album as a result i think it sounds a little more timeless than some of the like your, your howard jones is right who i think is a great songwriter but his his 80s studio stuff is super beep boop Cynthia, uh, in a way that I think dates it, mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. adorably, but dates it in a way. But this Crowded House album sounds a lot like so. It sounds a lot like the other Mitchell Froom produced albums. He did a Los Lobos album. Um, I think he was cribbing from Daniel Lanois a little bit when he produced it. It sounds great. Um, he decided he to put first album. Yeah, he he decided to put. Um, ooh. Yeah, ooh, they were in Chiba at the Bronze tonight. <laughs> they are playing at the Bronze. Exactly right. Um, <laughs> uh, and also, Mitchell Froom decided that it would be good if they put a Hammond organ in uh, in in a bunch of the songs, which I think is a, a it was a good choice. A great decision because it makes you even more like. When did they make this album? Was it 1968 <laughs> or 1986? It's a, it's a great album. And, uh, that's, thus I pick it. Now bring out your dead. Monty, what do okay. you have left that you didn't get to pick? Stand uh, back, everybody. List so and-
2: many things. Um, Pete Townshend, The Iron Man, The Musical, a less popular adaptation of the Iron Man story that turned into The Iron Giant, <laughs> but I like it. Um, Run DMC, Raising Hell. My first concert was actually, uh, the 1984 Fresh Festival. It had Run DMC, Houdini, Curtis Blow, and The Fat Boys. That was one of my other choices. Um, (laughs) Cross that off. (laughs) The soundtrack to Aliens, uh, Appetite for Destruction. Cross that off. (laughs) Uh, Good Music by Joan Jett. Uh, I will say An Innocent Man by Billy Joel, legitimately one of my favorite albums. I love every song on that. And uh, I'm going to say A Kind of Magic by Queen. I realize it is not the best Queen record, but I like Highlander a lot, so I like the songs from Highlander. All right. (laughs) Fair. James? What do you have left?
3: Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna give you the highlights because I've yes. got a very long yes. list. Go, yes. uh, Human League, Dare, uh. Uh, Police, Ghost in the Machine, um, Madonna, <laughs> Like a Virgin. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Now,
1: yeah. what's that? Let's let's uh, mention re-
3: let's mention Madonna in
0: the context of the '80s. I thought about I thought about a couple of Madonna. I think I had that same thought, which is I'm not sure I I, I genuinely love any single madonna album but uh yeah i uh, think although- that's
3: the thing that i like the older singles yeah and i i i really like madonna um keep going uh eurythmic sweet dreams oh yeah a mm-hmm. nine inch nails pretty hate machine yeah and- oh that was on mine Damn. too yes uh pixie's
1: Doolittle. <laughs> yep.
0: Very good. I love it when people are groaning during the Bring Out You're Dead. That's even better. Anthony
4: <laughs> All right, stand by. So, uh, Cud, When in Rome, Kill Me, anarchic indie British jangly pop. Their debut album is a rock opera, for heaven's sake. Uh, Tracy Chapman, Tracy Chapman, oh, yeah. her debut album, classic mm-hmm. from start yep. to end. So... Just so good, so emotional, relevant, brilliant. Paul Simon, Graceland, obviously important, you know, because of introducing Lady Smith, Black Mambazo Mm -hmm. and what have you, but also just, you know, a great, great album. Tony Banks, The Fugitive, uh, brilliantly weird and kind of shows why... He needed to be reined in by the other members of Genesis because it's his attempt to make a pop album and it is just too weird. Um, <laughs> B52's Cosmic Thing. Sure. Sacrilege. I know, but I prefer. No, the it's not. That's their output. best album I, by far. I, yeah. Cosmic Thing. Yep. I love it. So good. Beastie Boys. License to ill. This yep. is the album that led me to Public Enemy, NWA, Wu-Tang Clan, mm. everything else, you know. Yeah. Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man. Uh, first album of his second phase, where somebody somehow convinced him to drop the acoustic guitars and go full electro instead, uh, combined, of course, with his amazing gravelly voice, Sublime. Bee Gees, ESP, the album that rehabilitated them after the disco backlash, and a brilliant, brilliant comeback, packed with energy, new ideas, great pop songs. Philip Glass, Koyane Scutzi. The album that popularised Minimalism, uh, certainly the one that made Glass a household name, still brilliant and timeless. Laurie Anderson, Big Science, the one with Oh Superman on it. But in some ways, that's like the least experimental song on the album. Just wonderful. If you like Eno, you should definitely check out Laurie Anderson. Human League Dare, yes, Jens, I also picked mm-hmm. that. Uh, Howard Jones, somebody mentioned him. Yep. Humans Lib. Uh,
0: great, great songwriting. Everybody knows his
4: hits, but Humans Lib is a great yeah. album. Yes, it sounds dated, but it is just you know brilliant, brilliant songs everybody thinks brian you know brian adams oh god not him again but go back and listen to reckless that is a great great pop album full of like really great songs cocteau twins garlands their debut album album Shoe shoegaze as a genre depeche mode 101 talking about live albums that are greatest hits uh and violator was 1990 so i couldn't pick it um fleetwood mac tango in the night i like this better than rumors sue me uh in excess kick Again, oh, yeah. really dated yes. production, but what a great, great album. album. Just every song. Yep. Yep. Japan, Tin Drum. One of the see, first if I new knew that we could albums pick albums these many extra ones. <laughs> oh, man, you should see my list. Don Johnson, Heartbeat. I know, <laughs> I know, but it's a really good album. No. Anthony, <laughs> oh, I am really with is. you. I am with you on this, yeah. and
5: okay. I, I can't be embarrassed about it anymore. I uh, Just a few more. Just a few <laughs> more. I love it.
4: Uh, landscape from the tea rooms of mars to the hell holes of uranus this is the band that did Einstein go gogo and now consider that that is considered the most single worthy song on this album it is just absolutely bonkers there's a track about norman bates for heaven's sake uh <laughs> marillion misplaced childhood their magnum oh, opus the peak of their career men without hats rhythm of youth yes is, yes. yes it's got safety dance on it but again okay. if you think that was catchy take a listen to the rest the, of the album. whole thing's great
2: as i remember everyone had that album
4: yeah, yeah. Oh, right Soft Cell non-stop erotic uh, cabaret nice Mo- yes. most people only know their cover of Tainted Love but this this album Sex gets dwarf. a lot weirder and darker Sex Dwarf and Bedsitter yeah Sting Dream of the Blue Turtles <laughs> uh, his first solo album fantastic Tone Loke Loked After Dark what a debut <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so good uh, and then finally finally Yazoo Upstairs at Eric's known apparently I was told recently by Jason as Yaz, yes. Yaz. Yes. in the US Alison Moyet's yes. band yeah yep. the ex-founder of Depeche Mode with Alison Moyet's voice Nobody had ever heard anything like it before, and it's still brilliant. And yeah. now I'm spent. All right. <laughs> right.
3: Since Anthony got so many, I need to enter four more into the record. Okay. <laughs> oh, backwards? Do I get to go after Go ahead. You? Yes. So, Joy Division Closer. That's on my list. Yep. Motorhead, Ace of Spades, Craftwork, Computer World, yep. and I'm going to go for Public Image Limited Album.
2: Oh, all oh. right. All right. Well, I will throw in poisons. Open up and say "ah," and Big Daddy's meanwhile back in the states.
3: Okay, that's all you're
2: wow. dead. And the traveling Wilburys.
6: Okay, I'm walking away. All right, he's all about economy.
2: All right, uh, <laughs> Kelly.
3: Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. No, welcome to the pleasure <laughs> time.
5: Oh, Frankie goes. Oh, that's so good. Okay, um, more points to Pretty Hate Machine because that was so close to being one that I was gonna pick. Um. And then uh, for DePace mode, I couldn't pick some great reward, so I picked construction time again because what I like about it is that it's the intersection of like the stuff that we got on Speak and Spell, but it's sort of. Before it kind of crystallized into what we got in Black Celebration and other later stuff, um, we yep. could do a whole Depeche Mode draft if you're listening, Jason. Um, yep. that I'm would not. be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, my, a huge influence in my life as far as, uh, music that I like and am actually public about liking is Neil Diamond. And so my pickings were kind of slim in the eighties. It was really down to either Hot August Night 2, which was a compilation, so I thought it was going to be iffy at best. Uh, The Jazz Singer, um, the soundtrack to the Jazz Singer, because that um, has another song on it that reminds me of my dad. My dad's alive, by the way. I just think about him a lot. Um, And then uh, one that I had that was going to sort of turn the draft on its side was uh, one of these two notable soundtracks from my youth. 1986, Stand By Me, 1987, Good Morning Vietnam. Because even though the songs aren't current, that's when they came out because they were parts of those movies. Tricky. Mm. Those were were just a few. I also had um I had Run DMC on mine with with Raising Hell. Um I had LL Cool J. I had Public Enemy with uh, LL Cool Nation J.
4: Bigger and Deffer.
5: Bigger and Deffer. Uh, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back was the Public Enemy album I picked.
0: Nice. All right, Steve. What's
6: left? Stand back, dude. Okay. I've got an Antony-length list here.
0: Steffin' back. Hey, yes.
5: Go. Oh, God. Go for it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> go to try.
6: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good Foley. Nice job. Is that technically Foley? That's good mic work. Whatever. Uh, Stone Roses, self-titled. Um, just fantastic from beginning to end. I can't say there's no filler because the song Don't Stop is literally the previous song reversed with new lyrics recorded over the backwards ones. But even that's pretty damn good. R.E.M. Um, e. Green. Hey. I thought about Fable's... But Green is the one that I love. Just Fables uh, is
4: the best album, but I couldn't pick Arium.
6: I lo- love it. Just love it. <laughs> uh, Anthony already mentioned B-52's Cosmic Thing. That's the soundtrack to the summer after high school for me. So good. So damn good. Uh, I had to pick a Smiths album, but they didn't make any good albums. So I picked Louder Than Bombs, which is a compilation. <laughs> uh, and um, they were really a singles band. And you can hear why on this album. It is so, so good. Um Favorite track is "Ask," might be my favorite track in the whole Smiths catalog. I've also got "Ministry," "The Land of Rape and Honey." I've mentioned it before. This is the inflection point between their early synth pop and their later industrial rage, which I very much love. Uh, I also had Pixies' "Do Little," that got mentioned. Probably not my favorite Pixies, but it's still really great. Uh, I had Electric Light Orchestra's "Time" on my list, just because I felt like I should have a real album album on here. Not my favorite ELO, um, but it is sort of a concept album, and uh, "Twilight" is one of their best songs ever um devo there oh no go. it's devo not oh, freedom of yeah. choice because it's great um tears for fears the hurting i don't think this is really a concept album but it feels like it because mm. so much of it is about depression and abandonment but it's also about really catchy synth pop i love it squeeze Argy Bargy. um probably Argy their single bargy. best g <laughs> whatever i don't speak your language <laughs> <laughs> um yeah th- i think this is their single best collection of great songs pooling Musells, another Na'il mm. in my heart And If I Didn't Love You, going with the British pronunciations and everything, are are all good. (laughs) Um, Billy Joel's Glass Houses, in which Billy tries to prove that he can make legit rock and roll and very nearly manages it. Um, Bauhaus, The Sky's Gone Out, and uh, Love and Rockets, self-titled, just because I love Daniel Ash's guitar sound so very, very much. Um, the obligatory Metallica album for me is Master of Puppets, which is basically Ride the Lightning part two, but I love it.
2: I would just like to say that as of right now, the only two bands to have had two albums named are Metallica and Billy Joel.
3: (laughs) 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 Two sides of the same coin. Sure. To
4: be fair, Um, I could have named like 10 Motorhead albums. I just stopped myself. (laughs) Could have, but didn't. (laughs) I've got Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever. Uh
6: Oh.
1: there's
4: no mistaking uh, uh,
3: uh, that
6: this is a jeff lynn production but i also think it's petty's most consistently great pile of songs just
0: like that was mm-hmm. the that was the we were only living in jeff lynn's world during that there era in the late yeah. late 80s yeah uh they might be giants lincoln which uh, is the TMBG
6: sweet spot for me it's a good mix of weird and funny and accordion-y and uh mm-hmm. also some great crunchy guitar it's a good one i love lincoln my bloody valentine's isn't anything it's nowhere near as sublime as loveless but you can hear that album percolating in this album really really good uh obligatory rush i like permanent waves i don't think they made a consistently great album in the 80s but this is pretty close the cars shake it up Mm. it's a cars album it sounds like the cars yep uh i think it's their strongest set list of the 80s the Go Go's beauty and the beat which probably should have been higher up on my list given yeah. how much i listened to this album That's as really, a kid really good great hooky mildly punky pop with a liberal helping of girl group harmonings harmonies uh our lips are sealed i think is about as good as a song gets uh i also had in excess kick and yes. uh the, let's make it a trifecta the human league dare yes. Yes. Mark. <laughs> so good so great Uh, surprisingly accessible for an album that's entirely synth but it's weirder than don't you want me would leave you to believe so uh good stuff zz tops eliminator
5: oh yes
1: three
6: grubby ass truckers are suddenly the hippest band in town sure why not (laughs) it's the 80s man (laughs) the dead kennedy's plastic surgery disasters
5: Oh, my God.
6: A surprisingly eclectic collection of great punk tracks. It plays like a retrospective of all the giant a-holes that you knew in the 80s. It's so good. (laughs) Uh,
5: I never heard it described like that, and that's great. Some
6: great reward, which we I I think Kelly thought that she couldn't take that, but I don't think we actually picked it. I think it was a Bring Out Your Dead last time. Still love it. It
5: was listed, so I figured
6: it was not allowed. better, Better safe. Um a Flock of Seagulls, self-titled. Uh, they were more than just weird hair. This album is really, really good and has some interesting science fiction lyrics. Men at Works, Business as Usual. Hmm. Mm. Who Can It Be Now, Down yes. Under, and Be Good Johnny, and Who Cares What Else Is On The Rest Of The Album. Because those songs are so damn good. Yep. It's all pretty good. Uh, Anthony mentioned Men Without Hats, Rhythm of Youth. Um, I feel like everybody had a copy of the Safety Dance. I don't know that everybody had a copy oh, of this yeah. album. They should have. Because it's great. Uh, Coming into the home stretch here, the Psychedelic Furs Forever Now. I like the Psychedelic Furs in general. This is a a really good batch of New Wave songs. Overproduced just the right amount by Todd Rundgren. Really, really (laughs) solid. Uh, And lastly, Huey Lewis in the News Sports.
0: Ah, ah. Ah, Huey Lewis!
6: Nine of the most infectious, affable bar rock songs you will ever hear. Huey Lewis sings like a guy who has a smile permanently plastered on his Mm -hmm. face at all times. He should. You could not not go anywhere (laughs) in 1983. Considering how
4: successful he's been, he probably does.
6: (laughs) For that very short window, that's that's accurate. You could not go anywhere in 1983 and not hear Huey Lewis playing somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, It was ubiquitous, so...
0: Those are my dead. That's a lot. Yeah, take a breath. I, I don't yeah, I typed a lot of things there. Um I'm I'm a- my list, I, I, my list is a little more limited I, I decided to d- keep it a little short But there are a couple that already got mentioned uh, The Police, Ghost in the Machine Again, hard to pick a police album um, yeah. Similar thing, like Synchronicity's got those Great singles on it, and then it has Mother So and I love Mother, I do, it's my favorite it's song on the album I hate You it. know that uh, we, we, we disagree, but I think <laughs> I, Is that my mother on but, the uh, I picked Ghost in the Machine, which is fun That uh, James also picked it, I think that might be my favorite um, And uh, Speaking of Sting you know, Anthony mentioned Dream of the Blue Turtles I think perfectly poised between Sting becoming overbearingly awful and uh, <laughs> kind of hungry to show what he could do and you get the Dream of the Blue yeah. Turtles
4: I th- the thing about that album I love is that you could tell he was just letting loose that yeah. this was all the stuff he wanted to do with the police yeah. and couldn't and it's just full of energy I
0: like his first I like his first three solo albums but that one I uh, it does feel like it's he settling all the scores of all the songs that he wasn't allowed to release right <laughs> Uh I I think we have to mention uh the biggest selling album of the nineteen eighties, which is Thriller by Thriller. Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. It yeah. is the sure. first mention it. cassette tape that I bought. And uh that there are there, there there's like <laughs> one bad song
4: on that album. Um but it's Wait, everybody everybody's definition of the bad song on every, that album is will be different, different but yours? that's fine.
0: You can pick which one, but the rest of them are great. <laughs>
2: it is a great album. He could have just re-released it as a greatest hits album yeah, and people would not blink.
0: Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> got to mention Thriller. Um you pick your favorite, you pick your least favorite, but it is it is a milestone. Um I too have an obligatory Rush album. Mine is Signals from 1982, which I prefer. There you that go. is my go-to Rush album. I think it's great. Um speaking of Huey Lewis, he produced reduced much of Bruce Hornsby and the Ranges debut The Way It Is from 1986. That's the t- cassette tape mm-hmm. that I listened to so much that I wore it out. And at one point, it just finally snapped and I had to go out and buy the CD at that point. Um, tears for Fears, The Seeds of Love. I mentioned it. It's my favorite Tears for Fears album. I think it's great. I love it. I love how it sounds. I love the Beatlesque whatever that's going on there. I like songs from The Big Chair. I don't like The Hurting, but that's fine. There's plenty of Tears oh, for no, Fears for everyone. Yeah. The
4: Hurting's the best album. No, I don't like it. It's okay so- to be wrong jason so i do not like so it depressing
0: i do not like it <laughs> and finally um because again they they were picked in the last draft but this album wasn't picked uh i decided to go with 1983's war by u2 i could have chosen boy or the unforgettable file oh, but nice but war i really like war i think that's a really good really good record and i think the best early u2 record so there that's my list we did it everybody did we hey we did. Oh, oh wait! I did. had another
2: page. Uh, oh, dire Straits, yeah. Brothers in Arms, <laughs> The, of the Woods Soundtrack, Indigo Girls, Pac Man <laughs> Fever, what?
0: and I would like to thank my panelists for being on this episode.
2: <laughs>
0: Monty Ashley, thank you. James Thompson,
3: thank you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I've got another 12 on my list here, so I'll, I'll, I'll save, save them for save the next Save them
0: for later. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Johnston, thank you. I'll see you in the 90s, Jason. I'll see you in the 90s. Kelly <laughs> <Caligamon>, thank you.
5: <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: And Steve Lutz, you got a lot of albums from the uh, 80s there, dude. I sure did. Thank you, Jason.
6: And uh, don't you ever stop being dandy, showing me you're handsome, Jason. I
0: won't. <laughs> a- and Steve, don't you forget about me uh who are you don't don't don't
4: i almost picked live in the city of light (laughs) (laughs) look at this the drummer carries
2: the melody and
0: thanks Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of the incomparable we'll see you next week and in the 90s